It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. You know what's getting a whole lot of media attention? I want to start with this because this is such a serious and gut-wrenching time for our country. And this sort of is in the category of a talker. Uh, that's a term often used in the news business, something that will just sort of get people talking. I guess these days you would say, well, it could be trending on Twitter. But we used to have the phrase talkers even before there was a Twitter or a Facebook or a social media that had us all addicted. And it involves Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick, as many of you know, but maybe the non-football fans don't know, is the coach of the New England Patriots. The Patriots. Think about that as a team name. And uh, he has been a longtime Trump supporter, and the president uh, had made the offer, and Belichick, uh, I guess some days ago, had accepted uh, for him to come to Washington and accept the Presidential Medal of Freedom. President Trump has given this to a number of uh, sports figures and athletic figures. And now, under enormous pressure, I must add, Belichick has turned it down, and he put out this statement. Before I read the statement, I've got to say, there are a lot of people who hate Bill Belichick, and there are a lot of people who can't stand the New England Patriots. Uh, It's just one of those sports franchises and coaches that so many people who don't live in Massachusetts just love to hate. And I see so many of them now saying, you know, I never thought I'd say something nice about Bill Belichick, but wow, this was a great act. He's a great American and so forth. It just shows you that something's cut across even the, uh, um, the tribal dividing lines of professional sports. So here's Belichick's statement. Recently, I was offered the opportunity to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom, uh, which I was flattered by out of respect for what the honor represents and admiration for prior recipients. Subsequently, the tragic events of last week occurred and the decision has been made not to move forward with the award, using the passive voice there. Above all, I'm an American citizen with great reference for our nation's values, freedoms, and democracy. Obviously, I have some help writing this statement. I know I also represent my family and the New England Patriots team, one of the most rewarding things in my professional career. took place in 2020 when, through the great leadership within our team, conversations about social justice, equality, and human rights moved to the forefront. Uh, anyway, he says this outweighs any, the benefits of any individual award. So he walked away from this because he didn't want to go to Washington and have Trump drape this medal around his neck. Uh, That was unlike what happened the day after the Capitol insurrection when the two golfers, Anika Sorenstam and Gary Player, did accept uh, the Medal of Freedom from President Trump. Now, Belichick uh, has been serving on the President's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition uh, the day before uh, the 2016 election. Trump was in New Hampshire, and he read a letter that Belichick had written, you know, endorsing him. And look, you know, these things are not unimportant in an election when you have a celebrity, a sports figure, somebody like that, uh, weighing into the arena of politics. Now, here is the latest. Um, This morning, for the first time since this horrible insurrection that has claimed the lives now of six people because uh, 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 Capitol Police officers committed suicide in the wake of this terrible, terrible tragedy, and of course one was killed, in the line of duty. Uh, President Trump, uh, who's heading down to the southwest border in Texas, stopped and spoke with reporters. Uh, he didn't take questions, other than maybe one shouted question at the end, um, but he defended himself, and he defended himself in a typical Trumpian manner, using the phrase witch hunt, which we have not heard since, oh, I don't know, 
the Russia investigation or the last impeachment. In fact, Stephen Colbert had a funny line. He said, I just finished taking down the decorations from the last impeachment. I've got to do it again. Here is what the president said. He said the impeachment drive is absolutely ridiculous and a continuation of the greatest witch hunt in the history of politics. Now, he, not shockingly, defended the speech he gave to that rally of Trump supporters on the morning of the riot as totally appropriate. So many people are saying it's totally appropriate. Well, many people are saying it's the opposite of appropriate. And he said that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are following a path here with this impeachment drive that is causing tremendous damage to this country. And then uh, on the question of whether he resigned, the president just said, I want no violence. So he can't tweet, right? He can't post on Facebook. So I guess he decided that talking to reporters, not taking questions, but just using that moment to make a televised statement, um, was the only avenue available to him uh, to get his message out the first time he has really been playing defense here um, in, since the awful aftermath of the tragedy. So let me bring you up to date on what's actually happening on Capitol Hill. The House yesterday introduced the actual article of impeachment that it plans to vote on tomorrow. And it will probably all happen in one day. It's going to be a one-day impeachment. But before we get to that, Pelosi is going through this sort of, um, I don't have a better phrase than kabuki dance, by calling, formally calling on Vice President Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment and strip President Trump of his presidential powers. Now, everybody knows, Nancy knows, all the Democrats know, that Pence is not going to do this. So I don't know why maybe she wanted to be able to say, well, look, we gave them a chance or maybe she felt at some point this would pressure Trump into resigning. Not going to happen. Um, and so she ends up delaying by two days uh, the vote on this article of impeachment, which, as I said, is going to take place tomorrow. The article actually accuses the president of inciting violence against the government of the United States. Now, Republicans yesterday objected to, a, you know, you call for unanimous consent. They no, no unanimous consent for the passing of the resolution, which asks Pence... Uh, to declare Trump as, quote, incapable of executing the duties of his office and immediately exercise powers as acting president. It's just not going to happen. But I'll have a lot more to say about Pence in a few moments. Um, so the Democrats think they have the votes. I think it's something like 210 House Democrats have already signed on to the impeachment resolution. The Republicans are having trouble playing defense here because many of them do not want to defend what President Trump did last Wednesday. So there's a little bit of a movement uh, as an alternative lesser punishment to censure President Trump. This happened in 1998 when it was Republicans uh, ultimately impeaching Bill Clinton. Uh, many of the Democrats on the Hill who did not want to defend Bill Clinton's conduct uh, in terms of lying to a grand jury, in terms of his um, sexual relations with Monica Lewinsky, said, we'll censure him. You know, it doesn't rise to the level of impeachment. It's personal misconduct. That was the Democratic argument. So we'll censure him. That was their alternative. It didn't get anywhere. And obviously, I don't think it's going to get anywhere now. Um, there's a report in Politico that, other than speaking on his own defense, the president is just simply not able to gear up a big White House defense on this impeachment. Not that it would matter since it's going to be over in the blink of an eye anyway. Uh, Politico saying that um, um, 
first of all, you have you know the, the lawyers like Pat Cipolo and the White House counsel and the other lawyers who actually did defend him on impeachment. None of them seem to be want to be part of defending him publicly or legally in this instance. Meanwhile, former senior administration official telling Politico that nothing's happening in the White House. Things requiring a presidential signature slowed down for sure, is one quote. He was just supremely self-absorbed. Uh, this official saying many conversations with Trump, even about policy issues, have devolved into the president complaining uh, about an election that he still won't admit, at least publicly, that he lost. Uh, former official saying there was a feeling of a traffic jam, more and more initiatives that were piling up, and that's frustrating for everybody. Uh, one other significant development is another member of the cabinet has resigned, acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf. Uh, turning in his resignation yesterday, he becomes the third member of the cabinet to bail out. Now, he claimed that this wasn't about what happened at the Capitol last week, but of course it's about what happened at the Capitol last week. Uh, there's no way, you know, eight days before he would leave office anyway as a political appointee, even though he's acting, or maybe there'd be a little bit of an interim overlap while uh, Biden waits for his cabinet nominees to be confirmed. Uh, there's no way this would have happened had it not been for the awful, tragic uh, heartbreaking insurrection that took place in, in the very citadel of our democracy, the symbol of our democracy uh, up on Capitol Hill here in Washington. So let's talk about this impeachment strategy because it's pretty clear here that Joe Biden, while not in favor of impeachment, uh, is now signaling that he's not going to stand in the way. So he spoke to reporters yesterday in Delaware and they're asking him, are you for this? You know, he said his primary focus is trying to minimize the impact uh, that a Senate trial might have on his first days in office. Remember the whole deal with, I don't understand, I guess on January 3rd, all the House members were sworn in and Nancy Pelosi became Speaker, re-elected. The Senate still hasn't done that. I mean, the members of, I guess, I don't know if all the members have been sworn in because Mitch McConnell, and he, this will remain until, I guess, January 19th, is still the majority leader. Chuck Schumer is still the minority leader. Why wait so long? Anyway, Senate's not in session. So what Biden was floating is, is there a way? Does the, I mean, I guess it's kind of a legal or constitutional question. Does the Senate, if the House sends over the articles, and by the way, this idea that Pelosi and her whip, Jim Clyburn, have floated about, well, we'll go ahead and rush the impeachment through, but then we'll wait maybe a couple of weeks, maybe 100 days before actually formally transmitting the articles of impeachment to the United States Senate so Joe Biden can get his business done. Well, that has now been dropped. And the reason it's been dropped is it was a really stupid idea. It made no sense. It didn't add up politically. The, the impeachment of a president who's leaving office anyway is so vital and so important that you have to rush to do it. But then, yeah, you know, no real need for a Senate trial for, you know, maybe 100 days from now. Um, and that actually brings up whether the Senate trial starts on January 20th, the day of Joe Biden's inauguration, on January 21st, his first full day in office, or some later point, and I don't think the later point thing, I, I think it's just been discarded as politically unrealistic, it's going to completely consume the country, the attention of the country, and make it more difficult for Biden to tackle the very difficult tasks of trying to ramp up uh, vaccine distribution, um, so far, we've, we've uh, vaccinated 2% of the population. That's clearly hugely inadequate. Um, dealing with the economy, I mean, all the other, and even getting his cabinet nominees confirmed. 
you know, they don't just, there's no voice vote in this thing. There has to be a hearing on every nominee for state, for justice, for treasury, for defense. Um, and those things take time. Ordinarily, they're often done before the president-elect actually takes office so that he can have at least the core team, the, the diplomatic and national security team in place. That's clearly not happening this time. So that would be a setback. So Biden is asking, could it be a kind of a bifurcated approach? Could the Senate spend half a day on the impeachment trial and half a day doing the country's business, such as confirming his nominees and maybe you know moving on a package? He wants to get... Uh, the total stimulus checks up to $2,000. I don't know how hard that will be. You know, obviously the Dems will control the Senate, but it's a 50-50 tie with Kamala Harris breaking that tie. So that means not a lot of room for maneuver. If you lose one vote among the Democrats, if you lose Joe Manchin, who, by the way, isn't in favor of impeachment, um, you got to pick up a vote somewhere else. Otherwise, it's a deadlock. Um, but there, as long as we're on the topic of Biden, one of the things he's doing, because he wants unity naturally, to be the theme of his inauguration and his opening days in office. So uh, in the festivities surrounding his inauguration, and it's greatly pared down. There's no big parade. Supporters have been told not to come to Washington because of COVID-19. But he will be joined by Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, by George W. Bush and Laura Bush, and by Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton. And that's a great show by partisan unity. Uh, Jimmy Carter at his advanced age is not well enough to attend. Donald Trump has made clear he's not attending. But Mike Pence has said he will attend. And I give him credit for that. It's going to piss off a lot of Trump supporters. But he, in his role as vice president, will do what his president is not going to do. He will attend to show support for the peaceful transfer of power. Anyway, the Obamas, the Clintons, and the Bushes will go with Biden to Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, for uh, some kind of ceremony there. And I think that will send a very good signal to the country that despite the, the, the trauma of what happened at the Capitol and despite um, the deep, deep divisions in this country during the Trump presidency and even now at the tail end of the Trump presidency, that it is possible for uh, past elected leaders of both parties to come together um, to celebrate to celebrate. I, there's no other word for it. To wish Biden well. That's what Arnold Schwarzenegger did in this very moving video that he posted. And he had a call. Remember, this is a former Republican governor of California. But he hates Trump. Trump hates him. Uh, it has to do with Arnold taking over The Apprentice. Trump actually talked to me about this when I went to interview him about 10 days before he took office. You know, we're there to talk about, obviously, serious things. Uh, but he wanted to gossip, and he says, you know, Arnold, I, that, it's going to tank. It's going to tank him taking over The Apprentice because he just didn't like the idea of somebody else running his show. In any event, uh, Arnold talked to uh, Biden yesterday. I think that's a good thing. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. I do also want to mention about the Capitol Police that several Capitol Police officers have been suspended and more than a dozen are now under investigation because of what appeared to be the collaboration with the insurrectionists. In one of the cases, uh, one of those who was suspended was a police officer who um, posed for selfies with the people who were, remember, breaking the law by, by going past the security barricades. Outside, they beating the hell out of Another cap police officer, and this clown uh, is posing for selfies. Another one put on a red MAGA cap 
and was sort of leading a group of people through the Capitol. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people fired. And I don't know, if, do they have any criminal liability here? It's an interesting question. I don't know the answer. Just to finish up on this impeachment question, so Donald Trump is leaving office in eight days. Nobody has to do anything. But the House and Nancy Pelosi, understandably, I think, shaken, angry by, you know, her staff was hiding under desks, the fear of being killed, the fear of the massacre that, as I said in yesterday's podcast, we are very, very lucky as a country that we avoided. Um, it would be impossible, I think, for even the most conscientious lawmaker to separate the personal feelings about what happened from the question of whether President Trump should be impeached. But ultimately, I don't quite see the point of following through with this, not just because... President Trump is leaving office in eight days, even if they don't lift a finger. I understand the feeling among House Democrats and a few Republicans, I think they'll get some Republican votes, that if they do nothing, it's almost like Congress didn't have any reaction at all to this horrible tragedy that affected them personally and and, and that has so shaken the country. They're feeling like we have to do something. But if you resort to impeachment, first, you are going to absolutely impede the important business of government in the opening days of the Biden administration. There's just no getting around that. Even if there is, you know, uh, half a day on impeachment, half a day on other stuff, you know, we're, you know, as many as 4,000 Americans are dying every day. The vaccine rollout is not, you know, wasn't just the first couple of weeks. It's slow. It's, it's, it's um, being choked by bureaucratic red tape. Some of that is the fault of the state. Some states are doing better than others. But no state has done a fabulous job, and obviously there's no leadership at the top right now because the president is consumed with, with the political battle. Um, so you set the country on a course, and then in the end, Trump doesn't get convicted. I mean, the one thing that the Democrats could say is, well, if he got convicted, then he couldn't run again in 2024 because there's something in the Constitution about being disqualified from holding public office. But you need 67 senators, two-thirds majority, to convict a president. That is why all of the previous impeachments failed. Andrew Johnson, who was a horrible president and, you know, in the midst of the aftermath of the Civil War, was impeached, but he was acquitted by one vote. Um, Bill Clinton was impeached, and the Senate didn't come anywhere near the two-thirds majority to convict him. Richard Nixon was impeached, and he is the only president, I think, in the wake of Watergate, who might have, who well would have been convicted by the Senate, but he short-circuited that by resigning. That was the significance of Barry Goldwater and other senior Republicans going to the White House and say, you don't have the political support to survive an impeachment trial. So he spared the country that ordeal, and he spared himself uh, by being the only president in our history to resign. You know, will would would Mitt Romney and Lisa Murkowski and Pat Toomey uh, vote to convict? Probably, maybe. I mean, the first two, I think, pretty definitely. But it doesn't matter. You need 67 votes. And Republicans who are on the spot now, who don't want to appear to be condoning the president's actions, have the perfect alibi. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not the time to do this. He's out of office. It's, you know, we need to, to unite our country, not divide. Now, 
some of these same people, particularly the 136 Republican House members, who even after the violence at the Capitol voted to challenge Electoral College results in those states of Arizona and Pennsylvania. They're not saying, you know what, we need unity, man. You know, we need to bring this country together. Well, don't you think they played a role in tearing the country apart? All right, let me move on now to this Washington Post piece about Pence and Trump because it's really striking. Uh, It was 2.24 in the afternoon last Wednesday when Trump tweeted the following, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution. At that very moment, perhaps unbeknownst to Trump, but he did know that there was an insurrection going on, Mike Pence was in hiding with his Secret Service detail and whoever else was there to protect him in an undisclosed location in the United States Capitol because there were people looking to hang him, to murder him. And that's when that tweet went out. Um, Now, yesterday, after a period of estrangement, a senior administration official said Trump and Pence did meet in the Oval Office for an hour and had a good conversation. I wonder about that conversation. I wonder if that conversation took place because Trump wants to make sure that Pence doesn't flip and invoke the 25th Amendment, which I don't see any any chance of that happening. Uh, Washington Post, Trump's treatment of Pence has reverberated badly in the White House and among campaign aides. One senior administration official described it as unconscionable even for uh, the president. And in... uh, the president met repeatedly with Trump on that Wednesday morning before his speech to the rally. And he said to him, according to a person present, do the courageous thing, Mike. It will be bad for you and for the country if you don't. In other words, there was a not-so-subtle threat there that Trump would turn on Pence publicly if he didn't do what Trump wanted him to do, which, unfortunately for the president, the vice president has absolutely no power to do. His was a ceremonial role there. Um, Now, I want to go on to another piece in the Washington Post, which adds new detail. And I think this is really fueling the anger, new detail to what went on um, during those six hours when the Capitol uh, was under siege. Because it's starting to remind me of 9-11. I'm not comparing the scale of the damage in any way. But afterwards, the country was shaken in that instance. And there were all kinds of demands for investigations and, and retribution. I mean, it indirectly led to the Iraq War. In that instance, there was anger at, you know, the 19 people, uh, the Saudis who hijacked the planes. In this instance, there's anger at, any, at, at, at our own elected representatives for either inciting this or encouraging this. So during what was going on, Kevin McCarthy you know, who also was sheltering in place, uh, appealed to Jared Kushner. Lindsey Graham called Ivanka Trump. Kellyanne Conway called a personal aide to the president she knew would be with him. They were all urging the president to speak out against the violence. Here's one official uh, close advisor quoted saying, he was hard to reach, and you know why? Because it was live TV. He was watching this on live TV. If it's TiVo, he just hits pause and takes the calls. If it's live TV, he watches it. He was watching it all unfold. Lindsey Graham, on the record, it took him a while to appreciate the gravity of the situation, understatement of the century. Uh, this piece also says that Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, uh, that uh, Kelly McEnany, the press secretary, uh, and Ivanka Trump, all personally urging the president, make a televised statement, say something, send a message. And they finally were able to talk him into sending out two tweets saying, you know, no violence. 
but one of those tweets, he said, we love you. You are very special to the very people who are storming the Capitol. In another, or maybe it's the same one, he was talking about a stolen election still. Um, Graham reached Ivanka and implored her for help. They were all trying to get him to speak out, to tell everyone to leave, says Lindsey Graham. So the more we learn about this, um, you know, the harder it is to swallow, the harder it is to digest as a country, I think. Um, then he finally did the video the next day where he did condemn the violence and said he, a new administration would come in. They did three takes, and they chose the most palatable option, uh, despite the fact that the president had called the violent protesters very special. And as Trump watched media coverage of the video, he got angry and said he shouldn't have done it. New York Times takes a look at some of the uh, Republican lawmakers who are portrayed as encouraging, if not aiding and abetting this. So Congressman Mo Brooks, Republican of Alabama, at that Wednesday rally, he said, Today is the day American patriots start taking down names and kicking ass. Are you willing to do what it takes to fight for America? Louder. Will you fight for America? Well, did Mo Brooks literally mean kicking ass meant going and uh, committing violence? Probably not, but when you use that kind of language, words have consequences. Republican Congressman Paul Gozer of Arizona, who had for weeks been promoting the January 6th protest and other Stop the Steal events across the country, he's repeatedly, he had repeatedly referred to Joe Biden as an illegitimate usurper and suggested that Trump was the victim of an attempted coup. Gozer wrote an op-ed saying, be ready to defend the Constitution and the White House. The title was, Are We Witnessing a Coup d'Etat? So they're accusing the other side, the Dems, of a coup. Why? Because the, Joe Biden got more votes in the Electoral College. And in so doing, I think to some degree, encourage what was an actual physical violent coup. Um, now, once the rioters uh, got out of control, Goso posted a message on Twitter saying, let's not get carried away here. But on Parler, which has now been temporarily shut down, he posted a picture of uh, people scaling the walls of the Capitol and wrote, Americans are upset. So some mixed messages there. Uh, another Republican congressman, Pete Sessions of Texas, in a tweet he's now deleted, said, I had a great meeting today with the folks from Stop the Steal, one of the groups that was organizing this. And in a separate video, a far-right activist named Ali Alexander, he's a conspiracy theorist who was a leader of Stop the Steal, said that he, Mo Brooks, Congressman Gosar, and Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona had set the January 6th protest in motion. Uh, Andy Biggs is denying that. So it just shows you some of these members of Congress got kind of close to the people who planned what turned into an extremely violent, I won't even use the word protest, insurrection. So um, on the air, obviously, uh, anchors and correspondents are having a field day with this. Here's CNN's Anderson Cooper um, defending impeachment, I said, I guess. No one is saying that anyone who ever supported President Trump is as guilty as those who attacked the Capitol, says Cooper. 75 million people voted for the president in the last election. Good, honest, decent people. I'm glad he made that distinction. Hard to imagine most of them aren't sickened by seeing thugs with bats and zip ties, beating police officers and carrying Confederate flags, and talking about hanging the vice president. What people are saying is there need to be consequences for what we witness on Wednesday. Cooper went on to say consequences not just for the thugs who broke the law, but for the president and his enablers, whose lies and words and leadership led to the attack. This wasn't just some outrage of the week from the White House. We're used to that. 
This has never happened in the history of our country. This was mayhem and murder in the Capitol instigated by the president. Now, whether you agree with Anderson's words or not, I think he reflects a growing sentiment and anger as we learn more, as we learn more about how this almost became a massacre of our elected representatives, that something needs to be done. And that brings us back to, is impeachment the remedy? Should there be impeachment, even at the risk of, you know, screwing up the Biden agenda and taking tension away? Because the alternative is to do nothing, except I would add that the president, who many people feel instigated this, is leaving office eight days from now, regardless. One other thing I mentioned on the podcast yesterday that uh, Democratic Congresswoman uh, Bonnie Watson Coleman announced that she has tested positive for COVID. She believes that she was exposed while sheltering with a bunch of anti-mask Republicans. Well, now a second member of Congress, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal of Washington State, she put out a statement saying that she has tested positive for COVID-19 and she didn't mince any words. She's blaming Republican lawmakers recklessly refused to wear masks. You know, they're all huddled together in this secure room while these supporters, while these crazy people, these violent criminals, these thugs are rampaging through the Capitol. Uh, Johnny Powell saying too many Republicans have refused to take this pandemic and virus seriously. And I think they were told, here's some masks, you can wear masks, and they did not. So now, how do you feel about that? If you're a member of Congress, and you, you're scared, deeply scared, as anybody would be. These people marching around with Molotov cocktails and long guns and zip ties. You survived that violence, and now you have COVID-19. I could understand um, being pretty angry about this. Um, I think that's all the time that we have, but I do want to close, because I could talk about Twitter and Twitter's role here. I think we're just going through this national soul-searching right now. The more that comes out, the harder it is to process, the harder it is to digest, whether you're for impeachment or think it's superfluous, whether you're for a censor, whether you think that President Trump uh, meant to encourage this or not, that he incited the violence or not. Um, you know, a lot of Republicans, for example, Liz Cheney, she's a member of the House Republican leadership. She's saying to her people, that the impeachment vote is an act of conscience, meaning that the leadership, Kevin McCarthy certainly has made clear he's against it. Uh, when he talked to Trump, he said Trump took some responsibility for what happened. I don't know if that's actually true, how far the president went in his conversation with Kevin McCarthy. But Liz, you know, I will not be surprised if Liz Cheney votes to impeach um, because there's a battle for the soul of the Republican Party that's going to unfold well after you know the dust has cleared from all this. So I just think this is so hard because now we're talking about our own people, not foreign terrorists, not people who shout death to America, but people who did attack American democracy. Just a brief reminder, I'd appreciate if you would subscribe to this podcast. You can get it at Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, uh, and other fine podcast purveyors. We'll see you all tomorrow with more BuzzBeater. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.